I know what needs to be said when it needs to be said. And like the sooner that we can have that conversation, the better versus letting things fester. And I also think back to that time I was talking about, I was at Gong, I was just getting punched in the face. I'm like, all right, the person that I am today is not going to get me any closer to the person that I want to be. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluvians, Alex Kremer. All right, welcome back to the Rising Leader Podcast. And if this is your first time joining the show, welcome to the show. We are very grateful to have you here. This is your host, Alex Kremer. And I am very excited about today's guest. She has been on my list of people to have on the show really since the show began. So, Miss Gabrielle Blackwell. First off, Gabrielle, what up? Good to see you. Nice to see you as well. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing phenomenal. This is my first meeting conversation of the day. I think I told you I got today as well as Monday. So I'm starting off a four-day weekend with the conversation with you. I mean, I can't imagine a better way to start a four-day weekend than I was going to say, lucky you. <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, give a little bit of an intro on who you are for those who do not know. We're just need a little refresher for you. So, Gabriel, you are the creator of the one-on-one, which is your weekly opportunity to score the skills you need to be a better sales manager, as well as create actionable leadership and coaching skills just to up your game to support your team to help you crush quota. In addition to that, you are the community lead and host of the BDR Coffee Talk for Six Cents. I have been following you on LinkedIn for a good amount of time. You are a top voice on LinkedIn, which by the way, I was doing a little bit of research on LinkedIn top voice. I was like, oh damn, that's like a Pretty sweet little accolade thing. Cool little badge that you're able to put on your profile. You got a badge. Yes. <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> you got the cool badge there. You besides that, you are a sales leader at Culture Amp today. You and I initially got introduced. I would say might have been back in 2018 or 2019 when you were at Gong. I was at Outreach. I think we were on a webinar of some sort and you were hosting the webinar. This is COVID days. I think it's either 2020 or 2021, something like that. So it's through a pavilion. That's They're right. Like, hey, come host this webinar that we're doing with outreach folks. And I was like, cool, it's going to be three outreach people and me. Yep. Let's have some fun. <laughs> you handled yourself well. We came in hot, but you you kept us together. You kept us in line. <laughs> y'all, y'all were cool. Y'all were cool. I was like, yeah, easy peasy lemon squeezy. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, besides... All those wonderful accolades are there. You are going to be a speaker at the Arise Immersion that we are throwing in Austin this July. I am very excited to be hearing what you're talking about. The manifestation magic, I think, is as we are coining that talk right there. And then in addition, I have a couple of fun facts. You actually live in the beautiful Austin, Texas area, and you have two long-haired mini dashins. I don't know if I said Doxins. 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 Oh, man, that's just yeah, yeah, a yeah. terrible thing for me. Little to. wiener dogs, yes. You sent me over what the name of the dogs was, and I was like, I've never heard of what that is, but that's just me not knowing how to spell Doxins. So two Doxins named Missy and Luna as well. Just Yes. Out. I was wondering when you were going to put that in. I was like, come on now. <laughs> Let's just sprinkling some sizzle right there on the top. Yes. <laughs> 
Oh my God. Well, so let's dive in here. So you have been in sales leadership now for, I think about seven, eight years, somewhere along those lines, at least in some type of leadership capacity or coaching type of role. You've been doing it primarily within the tech space. I think even before we start even getting into your leadership, what you've been seeing within the space, how you've actually made some growth areas, especially in the past couple of years within your leadership, why did you even get into leadership in the first place? What was the major? Because certain people want to do it, certain people don't. So I think let's just start at like, why leadership in the first place? Ooh, good question. I don't know that I ever had a conscious thought of, oh, I want to be in a leadership position. So my first time being an SDR manager, manager at all, this was early 2017. I had joined this company at the end of 2016. I started off as a BDR there after having been an AE for a short bit. And I was just kind of like, whatever, let me just get in where I fit in. A company is going to grow. I'll have opportunities to be promoted. So if anything, I was like, I just want to be promoted. That's the most important thing. And a couple of months after I joined that organization, we got a new VP of sales. I don't even think it was a couple of months. I think it was like a week after I joined, we got a new VP of sales. And immediately I was like, let me play this political stuff. Let me make sure that I'm helping him out. Like he's going to be my best friend and my biggest fan. And I'm going to help him make things happen. And he had said, hey, we're going to be hiring a couple of roles, including an SDR manager. And I had been at an organization where we're building the SDR program from the ground up. So I think from my side, I wasn't thinking about management or leader. I wasn't thinking about being in a people leader position as being a people leader. I was thinking about it as, all right, this is a program. I can help build it out. I understand how it functions. I understand the operations of it. So if anything, like in my first couple of years, I was really looking at it from more of an operational lens. And I'm like, I know how to operationalize an SDR program. It wasn't really until the past few years that I really started to think about, or I had to think about, all right, what does it mean to really lead people? Not a program, not a department, not a process, but really people. So for me, it started first and foremost from a place of, I know that I can build a program. I can create an operation. And then over time, it became more about, oh, I'm leading and inspiring and motivating people. Mm. That is very interesting because I think a lot of people want to get into leadership to say, hey, I want to change the world. I want to impact people. I want to even make a lot of money, build things. But you said, I want to do it because the operational side of it and like running a process right there. So what does that mean? So when you were an SDR, you said, hey, I want to go into an SDR leadership role so I can operationalize this business or this department or how our team is running. Is that what you mean when you say kind of operationalize it? The scenario was we had, I was a BDR at the time and we had one other BDR and we weren't really using BDRs in the way that I knew we could be using them. The role itself was more so being an assistant to the AEs, like rather than BDRs just going in and working inbound leads first and then and then qualifying it, handing off to the AE the sales director at that company is like, oh, I want you to go through this lead list and manually assign it to AEs. I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> so yeah, for me, I think I walked into this place that I never had a BDR, SDR program, didn't have people on board who knew even what an SDR program really could do. And then I had been an SDR at a high performing team and like had seen how we had to build up processes, bring in tech, hire people. So I'm like, all right, I've seen enough to feel confident enough to go, I could do that <laughs> as well. And so I think first and foremost, I knew that I wanted to get promoted. Like I knew I wanted to get out of the BDR Initially, I thought I was going to be an AE position, but then a manager position popped up. I'm like, I think I can do this and I can do this pretty well. So that was really it. Like the desire to be promoted. Secondly, I'm like, 
I believe that from an operational sense, I can build out a program. And those were the two main things. Again, and over time, I think how I've evolved and matured as a manager, it's more about, oh, wow, like I was missing so many things on the people side of things that I've had to grow into. (laughs) But yeah, that's really how it went. Okay. So I want to bookmark that people side of it because I think that's the juicy good stuff right there that I really want to feel Super juicy. Because I have many thoughts on people go into management positions and they're really just operators. They know how to project manage, they know how to program manage, but they don't know how to lead people. And so they treat people like projects or programs or processes, and that's just not what the case is. So I can go on a whole soapbox on that one. Well, you know, it's interesting. I had a old boss of mine. His name was David Rubenstein. He's now at a company called Customer right now. And he taught me a ton about leadership. He was actually my manager when I moved into my first second line leader role. And one of the things that he talked about is there are three qualities that a sales leader can have. Either you can be a great operator, like you just spoke of, you can run your business really well, you can have it be tight, you can be visibility, the structure of it. Number two, you can be a great coach, you can be somebody that people just want to be around, a great person who inspires a team, who people feel excited to be with. You're coming from a certain energetic. Or number three, especially if you're leading a, a closing team, you can be a rainmaker. You can close. It's like, yo, you got a big deal coming with the CRO. Put me on. I can get that done. What he always talked about is usually, unless you're a unicorn, you have two out of three of those skill sets that you're either a great closer and you're great operationally, but probably not going to be super good from a coaching, like people want to be around you perspective. And so I just think it's interesting. You started as a great operator. That was something that you could just come in and make that happen. And then you've evolved now into being more of that coach, that people leader, investing into them. And I think this is really a big part of what you talk about on the one-on-one. By the way, if you have not checked it out, make sure you subscribe to that. Subscribe. And subscribe. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what happened in that transition? Was it something that you just were like, I'm bored of just being an operator? Or like, what happened there? It's like every great story has conflict. And that's really where you start to see true character development happen. And so there's a lot of conflict <laughs> happening in my life within work. And so it was a few years ago. And I'll just say this, I was previously at Gong. So I came in Q4 of 2020. And the team that I had inherited had been underperforming. And it was part of a larger underperforming segment. And when I came in, we were around like 60% attainment. And then by the time we hit the end of the quarter, my team had hit like 114%. And our segment was a top performing segment across the entire SDR department. So we're like, this is amazing. And then we come into the new year and my reps and I, we all heard it at the same time about all these new changes that were being put into place immediately. So totally new books of business. We're no longer paired up with AEs. SDRs own their entire books. And then as we're starting to dig in a little bit more, what we start to notice is the accounts that we have in our book of business don't meet the qualification criteria for us to hit our number. So it really was a matter of we honestly do not have the resources to meet the business goals that we have. And then all of a sudden, I think half of the segment was on a performance improvement plan. It was the absolute worst experience of my life as a manager because you're very much like, hey, like I want to get people bought into this idea that they can be successful, but you also know full well that it's not possible for them to actually get there. So I was in this weird place of, I don't actually know how to coach my team through this. I don't necessarily even know how to manage up appropriately. I swear, I was just getting shit on both sides. (laughs) Yeah. 
And all these things were happening. Like my boss at the time wasn't a super supportive person. And I have no problem saying that. I also felt like my job was on the line. And I think I reacted to the pressure that I was getting. I showed up in a way that wasn't honest to myself. And it was from a place of fear. So I really had to go on this journey of like, all right, I know what kind of manager I don't want to be. And so now it's time for me to figure out what kind of manager I need to be in order to make this a thing for me where I'm enjoying my work, I'm becoming the person that I aspire to become, and I'm having the kind of impact that I want to have. I think that was kind of the first piece of just recognizing. I'm like, I know I don't want to be the way that I've been with my team for the past like month or so. And then secondly, once we started to actually get the resources that we needed to perform, there was a lot of morale that needed to be built back up. There's a lot of trust that needed to be built back up as well. And I was working with the coach through BetterUp. And so they were really walking me through like, hey, let's actually look at your strengths and what you're really good at. And even if I'm a great operator, like I'm a way better people leader. I think there was also recognizing, again, and like, who do I want to be? What's going to help me actually get there? And then I had a whole support team around me to help me learn and develop the skills that I needed to develop. I had mentors as well who introduced me to like radical candor, for example. So one of the challenges that I had was, yes, I was a big energy person and people liked being around me. That doesn't mean that I was being a great coach though. I wasn't always giving the best feedback. I was more so worried about being liked. So having certain, I guess, material or literature to let me know like, hey, you can care about somebody personally and challenging them professionally is actually the best demonstration of you caring for them. So a lot of it was just like, wow, I was in this really, really tough situation that tested me as a person and as a manager. And I showed up in a way that I did not want to show up. And so I had to go and learn different ways. And that really opened up the door for a deeper investment and interest in nerdiness and like true people management and leadership. What I hear from that, it's like outreach and gong were at a very similar trajectory at a very similar time and space. And there hits a point of a company, it's like, all right, we hit our Series C, we're actually starting to have a pretty strong product market fit, we're starting to invest a lot more into the sales org. And there's just this threshold that you cross that says, all right, we're now becoming a real company, so to speak, in terms of how we're running. And what I'm hearing from you is, hey, we were able to run from an operational perspective, or at least that's what I was falling back on. But then all of a sudden, with all the changes, that wasn't enough any longer. There was a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, I'm assuming, OGs who had been there for a while now were being asked to do something completely different and where there was pretty steady results or confidence to be able to hit the number no longer happening. So you being the leader, all of a sudden, it's like, oh man, I need to tap these people into something. It's like, if you imagine your team, you're just like, how does it feel right now? The ecosystem of my people and the team, are they close are they wanting to lean in and grow and understand and gain knowledge or are people burnt the hell out? Burnt out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many things. Sometimes you need to go through a little bit of hell <laughs> like to realize, like, okay, I don't like this and I need to find a way out and I need to learn new things to help myself find a way out. But I think in general, it doesn't really matter which company you're at. One of the things that I'm noticing is people will go way more above and beyond if they really believe that their manager cares about them. 
period. It helps even more if you're a really great coach because you can care about someone but not know how to help them. People are like, all right, cool. I like you as a person, but I don't want to go to our one-on-ones. There's that that happens a lot. Or, hey, you can have somebody who's a really great operator and like their boss is going to love that, but their people hate them because they're like, this person has no empathy and no compassion and doesn't care about me and would replace me in a hot second if they could for somebody who will make a hundred more calls a day. I think there's something really important about establishing that kind of relationship that you need to establish with your people, demonstrate sincere interest in them. My grandfather would tell me this, he'd go, you need to take your people's success personally. It's not just a professional endeavor for you, but it's like a personal thing for you. So I think I've started to recognize a greater calling that leadership has, which is it's not just, all right, hey, I want to help you perform and get promoted. But especially within sales development, I share with my people, like what makes me incredibly happy is you doing what you actually want to do. If you want to stay in sales, you stay in sales. If you want to stay at this company, you stay at this company. But if you're going after something that's really important to you and you get there, and even if that means that you're on a new team, a new company, whatever else it is, that's success for me. And even more successful is from working with me, hopefully there is a higher standard of leadership that you expect from people. So you're not going to stick around with BS. So you're going to then bring that standard of leadership and how we show up for people and allow that to permeate in other cultures too. So I think there is this calling to of having a broader ripple effect of hopefully sharing a little bit more meaning at work too. And it's not just about numbers and sense. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. I like the way you think just so you know. <laughs> Thanks. Like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Dropping straight nuggets here. But I have 80,000 questions. One thing that really stuck out to me that you just said, though, is you have to genuinely care and be invested into their success. I think that's the core of it right there. Because yes, you have a team number to hit. Yes, you have executives breathing down your neck, asking you X number of questions, asking you to do and roll out different things. But if you at the core and foundation of you as a leader are not actually caring about the person from a holistic view beyond just did you hit your number, you can throw everything else out the window right there. That's the foundation of it. But when you say you need to care, it's like, cool, I hear you. Then what? What do you actually do with your people to show that, to develop that relationship? Because there's a two-way street, right? It's like, I'm going to invest in you, but I'm not going to go all the way to you and just make sure that I'm catering to everything you need. Like, I need you to also support me right back because I want to invest in somebody who's wanting to be invested into and is going to do the work themselves. So how do you develop that relationship? What do you do there? So- Years and years ago, this is way before sales stuff, I was taking this class, I was getting certified as a business analyst because I was doing like program and project management work. And there was some session that we had for one of our classes and our facilitator asked us this question and it was, hey, what is the number one quality or attribute that you think makes a really great friend? Everybody goes around, majority of people say predictability or reliability. 
hey, here's what I appreciate most about my best friends is they are always who they are. Like I know about them. I know what to expect from them. And so I think there's really this piece around expectations. I think when you're venturing into a new relationship with a manager and a rep or just manager and their employee is number one, we have to align our expectations and have to have agreements. And I think there are things that are going to help big time, such as hey, like I really want to get to know you and I want to get to know you in some structured ways. And I have some exercises for us to get there to understand what informs how you view the world. What are your expectations? And I can share those with you so that we can make sure that any gaps in our expectations are covered and that we come up with like realistic ones as well. So when I have folks who are new on my team, one of the first exercises I really love to do is this seven minute exercise where it would be like you and me, Alex. And I'm like, cool, we got 30 minutes. And I would love to be managed by you if that's possible. Yes, I would love to be managed by you too. So <laughs> yeah, so it would go seven minutes and it's just really the prompt is tell me about yourself. Let's say if I went first, I would just talk about my life for seven minutes straight. You don't interrupt and then we would exchange and then we talk about it. And what ends up happening is sometimes people will share things and you'll start to realize what's really important to them or they'll share things and you'll be like, Ooh, that's a nugget that we're going to dig into later. I'm going to put that in my pocket for when the time comes. So you'll start to understand like, what are some major influences in this person's life? Even to the extent of like, what was their home life like? How did their parents communicate with them if they communicated with them? How do they respond when they get in trouble? Do they shut down? Do they open up? It also helps me understand how they communicate as well. And this will start to influence how I show up. So I'm like, all right, if this is somebody who might've gotten in trouble, who if they got in trouble, it was better to stay quiet. They're never going to tell me when they're running into problems. I have to find ways of bringing that up with them. So that's like one exercise. And also they get to know me too. So it goes both ways. That's the first part. Second part that I'll do is this conversation around kind of balancing care and standards. So one of the things I will share with my reps is like my expectations and how I show up. So I'll say, hey, here's my leadership philosophy. Here's what I think is super important. And here are the kind of values that I want our team to embody. Here's how I expect for y'all to show up as well. And I want to hear from them. How do you want me to show up? But I want to align this to your goal. So it might be something as simple as what kind of performer do you want to be? Do you want to be somebody who like just hits their number? Someone who's slightly above your number? Someone who's a total rainmaker? Cool. Tell me more about that. Why? Okay. Well, what do you think you're going to need to do in order to get there? Okay, cool. Now, how do you want me to show up if you're not pacing towards that? All right. How do you want me to show up when you are pacing towards it? How do you want me to show up when you are absolutely crushing it? So what we're really doing is coming up with some agreements so that when I do show up and I do give feedback, I'm doing it in a way that they said, Hey, I want you to show up like this for me. So I'm really asking them to give me the playbook for how to care for them. In order for me to care for them, I have to first recognize that people are going to receive care differently. And so I have to be very intentional about understanding what does caring mean for them and then align to that while also leaving enough room to go. I always tell it to people, I'm like, y'all, I promise I do not wake up in the morning thinking about how I can traumatize y'all. I promise I don't do it, but sometimes it happens. Okay. Like, please give me the benefit of the doubt. And if that happens, please let me know. I will quickly and swiftly adjust. (laughs) 
<laughs> my first thought is how can I traumatize my team for the next three years? I was like, I promise you, I do not wake up in the morning thinking, how could I make somebody feel like absolute shit? But sometimes that happens and I don't mean to do it. I really don't. Just let me know. <laughs> the seven minute thing is so profound. I mean, first off, to just speak about oneself for seven straight minutes Certain people could do it. I could definitely do it. You could do it. I mean, people who are open can do it. But certain people, I'm like, wow, I could be like, wow, what am I supposed to talk about for seven minutes? And there's just like, tell me about yourself. What an open-ended prompt. But I think what's really powerful about it is the presence that you as the leader are holding for them. It's first off like, hey, I want to know who are you when you ask that and then you actually just have a presence. It's like, you're not looking at Slack. You're not looking at your phone. You're opening up. I'm even making a posture of opening my heart more towards you right now. Just tell me. I want to receive from you right there. Because so often, especially via Zoom, especially we have 80 things that we're doing. On a one-on-one, I mean, you see when you're on a Zoom with somebody, their eyes are looking all over the screen. It's like, you're definitely not here with me completely. But when you do give somebody the gift of your presence, that in itself is a fucking differentiator. Your presence is a differentiator. And what I really like too is balancing the care and the standards. And you talked about communicating what is your leadership philosophy, your standards, your values. What are those? When you are kind of giving your, if I call it your spiel, because it's more power, there's more essence to it than that. But when I, you, I say my spiel, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We're well, fun. Well, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, well, what do you communicate? It's like, hey, let me tell you about what I think about how my leadership and how to support your team. This is what we care about. Yeah, definitely. I'll say this with my folks, right? And I repeat this often. It's a little bit of a preamble. So I'll say, you know, like, hey, here are the things that I look at that are incredibly important for me. Like, here's what I think it takes to have a very successful SDR team or to have a team in general, have a successful team. From my side, I need to be data oriented or data informed. So it's really being able to take as much bias and subjectivity out of things. And also it helps me be very specific in the kinds of feedback that I'm going to give. The second piece is really having a team orientation as well. I grew up playing team sports with basketball and volleyball. I've always felt better within a team as well. And these are things that I want to espouse and cultivate within my team. And so I'll also say like, like, hey, my expectation with you from a team orientation standpoint is that you are showing up in a way that is best for yourself, but also is in alignment for what's best for the team. And the last piece that I'll say is, and I haven't found the exact words, but I think it's this integrity of character and really creating space for the whole ass human being <laughs> that comes onto the team as well. So I'm like, everybody's going to come in with their own backgrounds, their own stories, their own senses of identity and their own sense of self worth and we have to create space for all of it to come in. Part of you being professional is you have to be a different person. I'm like, that's going to get in the way of you being successful here. And then for each one of those things, it's going to show up in a different way. And so from a data informed perspective, what I'll say, I flip that for the rep and say, hey, I'm going to empower you to be the CEO of your business. And that means that you're going to be just as good at looking at the data as I am. And I will teach you that. And therefore, because what will happen is, because I'm like, the idea here is that you're not dependent upon me for your success. It's that I'll empower you to be successful on your own. And these are things that you can take with you wherever you go. 
going back to what I had shared before, which is you get to go to where you want to go. You get to go with a higher standard of leadership. But I think there's also this piece of you're also in a position where you always own your success. And no matter who you work for, where you work, you can be successful. So like that might be from the data informed perspective, from the team orientation piece of things, you have a responsibility to your teammates to show up as your best. But also you have a responsibility as a teammate. When you see that someone's not at their best, you check in on them too. We're not alone in this. And then again, the whole ass human being perspective, what I like to share with my team, I'm like, hey, like I as a manager, I'm like, I'm not a micromanager. I'm not a hands-off manager, but I'm very involved. I want to understand how you do your work. I want to understand how you show up. And I'm going to ask you questions if you tell me you're just fine. Sometimes we need to talk about business and that's fine. But sometimes the only business that matters is you as a person. So like, let's attend to that first before we attend to anything else. And as part of that, it's important that we build this relationship. I'm invested in building it. And over time, I think you're going to be invested (laughs) in building it. And so this will help us work much better together. So powerful. That resonates so much in a lot of things. It's funny, sometimes you get somebody on your team that hasn't had a leader or a coach who's actually invested and who actually wants to know. It's like, hey, dog, how are you? No, like, no, don't just give me the fine. How are you? I want to make sure you're feeling fulfilled. You're working towards something. And sometimes you got to really like break down some walls and some barriers and it's not happening right away. It takes months sometimes to really build that rapport. One thing I want to share, one of my three core values as a leader, because I think it's kind of relevant. What you said is mine is first off, you're not a sales rep, you're a sales professional. We're here to get better at the craft and the art of sales. Show up that way, learn from everybody and teach everybody too. I love when people show up in that mindset. The second thing is this is not just a bunch of individual contributors who happen to be reporting to the same manager. This is a crew. This is a unit right here. Show up and be that way. And I think that relates a lot to what you said. And the third is, yes, I'm down to make a shit ton of money. Yes, I'm down to crush quota, but I want that to be merely a byproduct of you feeling a greater sense of fulfillment in terms of who you are and what you are becoming. I love how you have the values there and you are involved. I love that Tatrick. I am involved. Hey, I'm not going to be like always on you, but I am involved here. You mentioned earlier, I bookmarked this because it hit me a lot. And I know I personally have been through this experience of giving feedback because that is freaking hard, especially... I've at least found for millennials providing direct feedback to people because what is important to us is we want to be liked. (laughs) We want our people to view us as people they can trust and one can even say even friends. And so giving that feedback, ruffling the feathers, that sounds scary to me. So why has giving feedback been an art that you've had to develop and just what's happened in that journey of doing so? Alex, I didn't know you were a scaredy cat of feedback. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Oh, man. So I'm thinking it's funny because I'm now at a point, I know what needs to be said when it needs to be said. And like the sooner that we can have that conversation, the better versus letting things fester. And I also think back to that time I was talking about, I was at Gong, I was just getting punched in the face. I'm like, all right, the person that I am today is not going to get me any closer to the person that I want to be. It was one of those moments. And I actually had a rep on my team. We had shown up for a one-on-one. They were about to be on a performance improvement plan. This is when everything was going to crap. And we had a 45-minute one-on-one and they used every single second in those 45 minutes to rip me a new one as to how I had failed them as a manager. Wow. 
wow is right. And I, I can look back at myself and go, all right, Hey, like I can be very compassionate and very gracious. And I've told that story to some people and they're like, well, that rep should have done this. And I go, you know, at the end of the day, like she had a big point, which was the people that just liked me. Cause they're like, Oh, I like your energy. Like, what's going on with you? Like you've got a brand, you're fun. You wear funny hair, whatever. It was easy. It's not always easy as a leader, when you have people, again, who are coming in with their own life stories into work where their lives aren't easy. And so I think when people come, there could be a few things going on, but I was like, you know, when people are coming into work more than anything else, I think that they want to feel confident in what they're doing and that what they're doing is actually going to get them to where they want to go. And they want to build up a competence as well. That's pretty much it. And if they're not performing well, it's going to come down to one of three things. It's because they don't want to do the job. They can do the job, but they're just not willing. They know how to do the job, but they're insecure. And so they just need somebody to come in and validate and affirm them. Or they just don't have the skill set either. But the only way that I can know where they're at is to give them feedback. So if I'm not giving them feedback, I'm failing as a manager. I'm not doing what I need to do. I'm setting people up to fail. And I know what it's like to be on the receiving end, literally being set up to fail and being told that I'm not doing well, but not getting any constructive feedback whatsoever. Honestly, it's discouraging. It's nerve wracking. It's just so psychologically unsafe to be in that environment, to not be doing well, to be told you're not doing well, but to basically be told you're never going to do well. It's not your skills. It's you as a personality are a failure. So as a manager, I'm like, all right, I have the opportunity to not make it about the person. I don't have to make feedback personal. I can just simply say, hey, Alex, here's some things, again, being data oriented or being data informed. Hey, Alex, here's some things that I'm noticing from your data. If nothing changes in your pacing, in your behaviors, here's where you're going to land. Clear expectations. You know exactly what's going to happen before it happens because this is part of our values and it's part of the systems and the values are operationalized as well. So when I'm giving someone feedback, they know exactly where I'm coming from because I've taught them how I look at the world. We have a shared language and shared communication. These things are helpful. That's powerful. I want to double click on that right there because you talked earlier about teaching your reps how to look at the data. This is another example as to why that's valuable because you're having a similar lens through what you're looking through and they're able to analyze it themselves. Yeah. So for me, I feel very confident giving feedback because now I know how to give it in a way where it's not about being like, I could say something like, Hey, Alex, honestly, I just think that this is not true. I don't think this way, by the way, like, you know what? Your hair is really stupid. <laughs> you know? Take the dagger out of my heart. No, you've got great hair. Alex, you've got great hair. That's the first thing you're notice about you. You got great hair. Okay. But like, so it being personal versus, hey, Alex, here's one of the things that I'm seeing with your Monstera back there. It's got some yellow leaves. I'm making an observation. Usually that's a sign that this is happening. Hey, here's some things that I found to be very helpful. Mm. Right? Versus, wow, Alex, you really don't know how to take care of a Monstera plant. Mm. There's a difference between that. By the way, your Monstera looks great. Um, <laughs> Fake. So, <laughs> I know. <Okay. laughs> I think the challenge comes where you've had examples where the only time you got feedback is when it was personal. And so therefore you're like, oh snap, I associate feedback with 
really negative experiences. And what we have to recognize is that was more so an example of someone being inexperienced in giving feedback. So once we actually realize what feedback is and how to do it, and this third piece, and this comes from Kim Scott's Radical Candor, is more people than not would rather work for an asshole who makes them better at their job than a nice manager who does not give them constructive feedback. If you realize that people would rather work for the worst person in the world, as long as they get better, they'd rather work for them than a person who's nice, but again, doesn't help them at all. Then you can go, oh, snap. Okay. I can still be a great person. I could be a caring, compassionate person. And I can also be somebody who is fiercely committed to what this person said is important to them. And I will not let them slip on that. And that's what I tell it to my reps. I was like, hey, you told me here's what you care about. You told me you were going to do this. I feel irresponsible letting you continue on doing things you know is not going to help you get there. Yeah. Do you want me to do that? Damn. More people than not will say, oh, shit, GB. Yeah. <laughs> that's a profound statement. People want an asshole a manager more than they want. A manager is going to make them better more than someone who's going to make them feel good and not make them better. That's a profound statement. I have two more questions here for you. The first one is this, because I want to flip the script just a tiny bit where, yes, we have a lot of leaders. But we also have a lot of individual contributors who listen to this podcast. And some people might be listening to this be like, man, I wish I had a leader, a manager who approached the relationship with me like this, who was invested into me as a person, who was able to give me direct feedback, who leveraged the data in order to be doing that. You know, you talked a little bit about at the early stages of Gong, you got on a new VP of sales and you weren't even a leader yet. What can an individual contributor do to improve the relationship with their manager to ensure that they are going to be getting their needs met? from a coachy type of perspective? Yes, great question. So I would say that you have to become the change you wish to see in the world. And so whatever it is that you're wanting to see from your manager, I would try and get clarity as to what exactly you want them to do. It's not about who they are, it's about their behaviors. Like what are the behaviors that you feel like do not exist and get really clear on that. I would first and foremost, try and figure out how can you give that to yourself first? All right. Hey, like I really wish that my manager was more data informed. Okay. What does that look like exactly? And how would that benefit you? Now, how can you do that for yourself first? I'm doing all these activities. I'm not getting any meetings. I'm doing exactly as my manager wants me to do, but it's not netting results. Get curious about what the data can tell you as to what you need to do better. So that's the first part. Not every manager knows how to do this shit. <laughs> like, totally. And not every person who's in a management position is going to be proactive. They might not even know they need to know this stuff. So if you get really good at this stuff and then you go into your one-on-one -on -one and you're like, hey, Alex, I know that our activity expectations are 100 calls a day. And I've been doing 100 calls a day and I haven't been able to get any conversations this week. And I also haven't booked any opportunities. I know that. But here's what I'm starting to notice is actually when I call this group of people over here, or when I'm using LinkedIn, I'm actually getting more conversations on LinkedIn. And I like to have something to scale that out more. And here's exactly what I'm going to do. And here's exactly what my results are. I'd love to partner with you on making sure that this is number one, okay with you. But I think it also can help other people on the team. Most of the time, the manager is going to go, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about LinkedIn before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is really about managing up or you coaching your manager 
And some people might be like, oh man, I don't want to do that. But sometimes I think I was that person where people would come to me and say, hey, here's what I want to do. And I'm like, y'all are the subject matter experts. My role here is again, empower you, support you. I want to see your stuff be super successful. If it works really well, let's scale it out. You get all the credit. We love that. And that's helped me be a better manager by fostering that kind of environment. I say, first and foremost, give your manager a chance to show up in the way you want them to. But you know, sometimes other managers, they're not going to be that way. And that's unfortunate for that manager. I will tell you, I actually just posted about one of the reps on my team. I have a guy named Kurt Kloss, who I've managed for about four or five years now. And I post on LinkedIn about it and just be like, I've learned more about sales from Kurt as his manager than almost anybody. And that's just because he's taken on the leadership role to me of not just what to do and how to do it effectively, but feedback for the rest of the team. He's ensured that he's getting his needs met consistently by giving me feedback to support him better. And it's like, it's again, that partnership. But what you are saying right there is don't just be on the receiving end of leadership, be a leader yourself. It starts from there. And also when you do that, your leader, your manager will start to give you more opportunities. And when there's opportunities for promotions or pay bumps or whatever it might be, you've just made yourself into an incredibly valuable asset that we want to make sure stays happy. (laughs) Because the number that we are hitting as a team, you are impacting more than just your own personal network. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So yeah, again, I think it's like any relationship. It's like, oh, like my my mom's not doing this or like, oh, my partner's not showing up like this. Like every therapist will be like, well, you know, Uh maybe how are you giving that to yourself? And I'm like, I'm not. And like, maybe it's you. Maybe you (laughs) need that. (laughs) Don't talk to me like that. (laughs) Shut up, Ralph. You don't know what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I legit therapist named Ralph. And that's what he says. Like, how can you give that to yourself? Ralph, I don't know. That's why I'm here. Yeah. I'm going to have the answers. I'm going to be paying you to see every... Yeah. Oh, my God. Before my final question, I do just want to acknowledge you first off, Gabriel, just for showing up. You speak, first off, so well, but you speak with wisdom. You speak with experience. You speak with passion as well. And I've received a good amount, especially around the monster in the back of saying, what color <laughs> are the leaves? And I want to tell you, this is how... I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to apply that on Monday. So thank you for that and just teaching people this stuff as you are learning yourself. So thank you for that. Thank you, Alex. Of course, of course. So here's my final question for you. This show is called the Rising Leader Podcast. What do you view as the new wave of rising leadership that this world is needing? Is the new type of leader beginning to embody the characteristics, the habits, the mindset that is either going to apply to the tech sales world or just freaking the world in general? Who is the rising leader and what are they like? It's going to go back to what I shared as the values that I think make a really strong team. It's recognizing the place that data plays and also knowing what data cannot do. That's that data orientation or being data informed. It's really about cultivating a sense and I think also a pride in team as well. Even if you only have one rep on your team, they need to know they're not alone on things and that they're part of a team. I'm still workshopping this one, but I think it really is leaving room for the whole ass person. There has to be space. And to me, it's probably like, you know, the most foundational part of this for people to show up as they show up in the day. And as a leader, this also means that you also have to show up as a whole ass person too. It's not about showing up as the corporate version of you because people read through that in a second. 
but it's really being able to be mindful of your own life experience is doing the work to help yourself move through adversity and be able to help your people out when they're going through those things, or at least to be able to listen and be present with them for it too. There's of course more to that, but that's how I show up. That's me living in my full, honest expression of myself. And it's helped me be the best that I've ever been professionally and personally. And I also feel with that, I attract some of the best characters <laughs> like onto my team no doubt. as well. It attracts the best opportunities for me as well. So I think that you said you talk about the rising leader. It's like, all right, that's it right there. Yes. Way to put a little cherry on top of this conversation. So Gabrielle, <laughs> thank you so much. If people want to get a hold of you or follow you, what is the best way to do so? Subscribe to my newsletter. It's called The One-on-One. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Gabrielle GB Blackwell. Did I say subscribe? It's a great newsletter. <laughs> it is a great I love newsletter. It. it is a great I newsletter. I love it. And we're doing more stuff. So we're going to bring Alex on to a virtual event at some point in time too. So yeah, it's going to be great. We are going to crash. And if you want to meet Gabrielle in person, make sure you also check out the Arise Immersion coming this July 14th through 16th in Austin, Texas. And with that, you crushed. Thank you so Thanks. much. Uh, Thanks, for, Alex. And if anybody needs to hear this show, make sure you subscribe and send it along the way. So GB, talk to you soon, my friend. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluviance.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown over four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders on diving in deep on what really matters, but really mastering the craft and being in an incredible community. Our next Arise Immersion is coming up this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area, and make sure you grab your spot. Check out alluviance.co to apply there. Hope to see you there.